most of us here would have a kitchen in our house and most of us here probably have a favourite appliance. And I think the favourite appliance of mine in our kitchen at home would have to be the dishwasher. <laughs> yeah, most people are agreeing. Yeah, with a family of six, we have a lot of dishes every single day. Sometimes if we're doing a lot of cooking, I will run the dishwasher three or four times a day or if we've got guests over, it is always running. We have so many dishes and we have our kids on this rotating weekly roster. So as part of being in our family, they have to do jobs around the house. And for one of them each week, it's their job to unstack and stack the dishwasher. So helpful because it kind of everyone's pulling their weight. Everyone's doing their bit for the family. But there have been a couple of times in our family when it comes time to unstack the dishwasher great. The kids get in there and do it, unstack away, put the dishes in the cupboard, hopefully in the right spots. But almost towards the end of them unstacking, we've realised the dishes aren't clean. Somehow, as they're pulling the mugs out of the dishwasher, they didn't see the dead kind of gross coffee stains on the inside and they went straight back into the drawer. As they're pulling out the plates, they didn't see maybe if we had egg for breakfast, the egg kind of that's dried and cracked, and they've put it in the cupboard, and it's mixed with the clean dishes. But what's worse than plates and cups? The cutlery. Oh, that is an absolute nightmare. Dirty cutlery mixed in with all of the clean cutlery. And as soon as we realise, I don't know, that's probably one of the worst things that can happen. Actually, it might be worse things, but it's pretty bad. And then you have to go through all of the stuff, all of the stuff to find the dirty stuff. And then it's probably not only the dirty stuff, you've got more dirty stuff because it's contaminated the clean stuff. It is an absolute nightmare. I'm not sure if that's ever happened in your house, but you don't want it to happen. The outside was dirty and somehow they missed it. Weren't paying attention, didn't notice But now we have this amazing magnet that we've got on our dishwasher. It's quite large and you can flick it from clean to dirty. So it will show the status of the dishes in the dishwasher. So if they're really not paying attention, they're going to stuff up. But it's right there in front of them, clean, dirty. And so far since we've had this magnet, we're all good. We haven't had any accidents of unstacking dirty dishes. Nobody wants dirty cups. Nobody wants dirty plates. Can you imagine being served a meal on, you can see it's an old plate that's had kind of stuff stuck to it. Nobody wants that. It's gross. We like to keep things clean. We need to keep things clean. It's good hygiene practices. And the same in the kitchen. Nobody wants a meal prepared by dirty hands. If you know someone has come in and they haven't washed their hands and you see them touching food, you're kind of like, oh, that's really disgusting. I don't actually want to eat that food. We know the importance of being clean. And this is where we come to a really interesting story in the Gospel of Mark where we see that Jesus ate with the disciples and he didn't wash his hands. Now, it's a little gross. And you might be thinking, that's actually really weird. Why do we have this story in the Bible? But obviously there's more to it. There's more than just not washing your hands. There's something we can learn in this story. So in this series, we're looking as, you know, the life of Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. Because how he lived, how he walked, how he taught, there is incredible truth, wisdom and transformation in that as we look into the words and actions of Jesus. And now if you've been in church for a long time, maybe you grew up in Sunday school or you've been a Christian for a long time, you've probably heard each of these stories we're going to share week by week. 
They're talked about a lot. Maybe you've read them a lot. And we can actually become immune to the wonder and the awe of what Jesus is doing and saying through his life. We can read these stories. Maybe we've read it a couple of times. Maybe you've read it hundreds of times. And in the end, you can actually just end up glossing over it. Because you know the story. You know how it turns out. And if someone asks you a question about a particular passage, you could probably even explain it quite well. You grew up hearing these stories. And it's just kind of, you know. And we forget. We lose the awe and wonder when we come to the life of Jesus sometimes. I have to admit this. And I realised I've been reading through the book of John again and I realised so many times I have, as I'm reading a passage, I'm not actually reading it properly. I'm kind of glossing over the words, doing exactly that, thinking, I've read this, I know the story, I know the outcome, I know the lessons. I need to change my heart posture and my attitude when I come to these stories because Jesus' words, his life, this living and active, it is always going to teach us. It is always going to grow us. There are always things we can glean and grow from in the scriptures. And like Jeff said last week, we can come to these with childlike faith and wonder. Again, looking at what Jesus did and going, wow, that is amazing. He is truly the Son of God. So I chose this passage this morning because God has really been challenging me at the moment to come to him with a fresh heart, with the right motives, with the right perspective. So I want to look at Mark chapter 7 this morning. So this passage shows Jesus and his disciples coming to a meal and not washing their hands. Mark chapter 7. One day some Pharisees and the teachers of religious law arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus they noticed some of his disciples failed to follow the Jewish ritual of hand-washing before eating. The Jews, especially the Pharisees, do not eat until they have poured water over their cupped hands as required by their ancient traditions. Similarly, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. But this is one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law asked him, why don't your disciples follow our age-old tradition? They eat without performing the hand-washing ceremony. So I'm not sure about you, but as I read those first few verses in chapter 7 of Mark, there doesn't seem to be anything particularly weird or particularly controversial about what is going on here, about what the disciples are doing apart from it's a little bit gross or what the Pharisees are asking. Why aren't you washing your hands? Now, after all, it says these guys, the Pharisees and the religious teachers of the law, were there to observe Jesus. So if I was observing Jesus in this setting, I probably would have picked up the same thing. Now, we don't know what Jesus was doing before he came to eat this meal, but maybe he walked there. And as you probably know, in first century Jerusalem, it would have been dusty roads, it would have been dirty. Maybe he patted an animal on the way. We have no idea, but probably dirty hands. Mark doesn't say exactly what was happening before this, but in the last few verses of chapter 6, it says that Jesus was at a, on the shore at Gennesaret, which hopefully I pronounced it right, moored on the shore. And on this shore, crowds of people came to him. They saw Jesus, crowds and crowds of people, and they brought their sick people to him. So Jesus is amongst this crowd healing sick people. Now, if you'd just come from a big crowd of sick people, you'd kind of want to wash your hands. We know that it's common practice. We don't want to spread germs. So imagine the Pharisees sitting here that night. They probably didn't know that Jesus did just heal. We don't know. But 
who wouldn't wash their hands? They're about to eat dirty hands. I can't eat a meal with dirty hands. It's gross. Or imagine a doctor today coming between patients and just going straight from patient to patient without washing hands. You think, that's disgusting. That's really bad practice. They could probably get in trouble for that. The moment we kids can wash hands, we teach them the importance of that. We know basic hygiene. So I can totally understand the Pharisees asking Jesus, why aren't you ceremonially washing your hands? It seems like a good question. It seems like they're being really curious. But these guys, these Pharisees, these religious teachers of the law, weren't asking Jesus because they're worried about his hygiene. They're worried about him getting sick. They're asking him for other reasons. So what are these other reasons? So in the Old Testament, we see that in the Jewish law, there was these things that people could and couldn't touch. So if a person, a Jewish person, touched something that they considered unclean, that would then make them unclean. And they would have to go through this whole ceremony, this whole ritual of this cleansing process. And they had to do that, especially before they came to the temple to worship God. Because if they touched something unclean, they were unclean. They couldn't come into God's presence unclean. So it was this kind of whole circle. And all of these laws were set out in the book of Leviticus. So Mark says in chapter 4, they don't eat anything from the market until they immerse their hands in water. But this is one of the many traditions they have clung to, such as their ceremonial washing of cups, pitchers and kettles. So it had become this ceremonial tradition handed down from generation to generation. Wash your hands, wash your mugs, wash your pitchers and kettles. And it was because they thought, what if the food is contaminated? What if the food we are about to eat has touched something in the marketplace that it shouldn't have touched? So they just did it in practice for every single meal because what if? What if I accidentally ate food that hadn't been through this process? I would accidentally be unclean and I would accidentally go into the temple and be unholy. So they did it every single mealtime just in case. Probably a good practice, you never know. And these Jewish leaders were so fearful. What if I touch something unclean? What if I accidentally did this? I'll just be safe if I wash my hands. They were stingent. This wasn't a hygiene thing for them. It was a spiritual practice. They thought that washing of hands, washing of things in in this right way would make them holy. Surely they were doing this to make themselves right with God. And the Pharisees didn't care if people around them were just washing their hands for the sake of it. They enforced it on the people around them. They said, if you don't wash your hands, this is part of our culture, part of our customs and traditions, you have to do this. They didn't care if people around them were washing their hands and doing this ceremony, and yet in their heart didn't love God. Now, Mark doesn't say at all, but I was, as I was reading this, I was wondering, did Jesus intentionally not do this so he could teach these guys a really important lesson? Because this wasn't an innocent question on their behalf. Jesus sees the outward appearance as well as our motivations and our drives and desires on the inside. So what was Jesus' response to the Pharisees asking him this question? He says in verse 6, You hypocrites! Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, These people honour me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas and commands from God, for you ignore God's law and substitute your own tradition. 
Jesus seems really mean here. Is that totally wrong the way that Jesus addressed these guys? It seems really harsh. Now, what if Jesus said something like that to you? How would you respond? It would be very confronting. Now, remember, Jesus was without sin. So when what he was saying here and how he said it, Jesus did not sin in the way he was talking to the Pharisees. Now, we, as we read this in today, we add our own inflections and biases on the way and emphases on these words of Jesus. And we interpret it. Maybe that Jesus was angry as he said it. We don't know. But Jesus didn't sin when he said these things. Jesus often rebuked the Pharisees and teachers. But he probably didn't do it in the way we add emphasis to the words and inflections and biases. I think that Jesus probably was, he was rebuking him, but he also saw these Pharisees, these religious teachers as people. And I think his intention was to bring them back to the heart of God, to draw them back and to show them that it's not about these outward rituals, it's about your heart. He wasn't being vindictive here. He wasn't being mean. He wasn't putting himself on a pedestal and saying, I'm better than you, look at the way I live my life. Because remember, he wasn't sinning. He said it to break through their hearts and to draw them back to the true heart of God. And he said it in a way to shine light into the depths of their motivations, their drives, their desires, and everything about what's in their heart. Because Jesus was saying, it's not what we do on the outside. It's not the rituals and the traditions that make us holy. It's what's on the inside. What makes me unholy on the inside is my thoughts my attitudes, my motives, my desires, and my rejection of God. Now, these traditions they were holding on to and passed down from generation to generation, they elevated these and said, these are the most important things. And Jesus wasn't rebuking them because of these traditions. He was rebuking them because of the way they were living them out, because of their heart motivations behind them. Because we know that traditions and rituals and things we do in our faith can actually really honour Jesus. They can actually draw us back to the heart of God. They can actually help us to truly seek God. And there are so many traditions in our faith that are really rich. Things like taking communion, reading the Bible, praying in particular ways, even if it's going back to maybe old prayers that are written down, following special holidays in the bible these are rich traditions that can draw us back to the heart of god they are good things that we can do to help our faith it's not the traditions that are the problem it's when we do these traditions for the sake of it when we do these traditions because it's something we've always done or we do these traditions because this is what faith looks like isn't it or we do it with an attitude of indifference or a bad attitude The problem is when we do stuff to please God and our heart is wrong. We can go through all of the motions of reading the Bible in our private lives. We can take communion. We can pray. But it can be just lip service to God. We can be just like the Pharisees. Because if our heart isn't right in the things we do for God, there's actually not much point in doing it. God wants our heart, not our actions. And another really big problem is when we, when we judge others based on what we think they should be doing in their faith. When we say to others, you should be doing this particular thing because that's what faith looks like. Is that actually the right thing to say? Is that the right way to judge? I don't think it is. 
Because remember, Jesus looks at our heart attitudes. And I'm not sure about you, but when I read the gospel, it's easy to come to the Pharisees and the religious teachers and kind of stop and go, how could they do that? How could they not see that what they were doing is wrong? How could they realize that they were judging people and forcing traditions and things on these people and really making it hard for them to worship God? We're so good at seeing things in other people. We're so good at pointing out, and especially in hindsight, in other people. But what about ourselves? What about us? Do we actually have traditions, rituals, ceremonies that we do in our faith that are just that, that are almost just lip service to God, that we just do because it's what we should do? And maybe sometimes we're actually a little bit more like the Pharisees than we would like to admit. So let me give an example. When I was thinking about this, of kind of that lip service of just going through the motions of something that we do. And the first thing that popped into my mind was grace. And I think Jairus talked about this before. I am totally guilty of this. We come to dinner as a family, we sit down and we say grace. But so often my heart is not in the right place. I'm not actually really thankful to God for the food. I'm not really sitting down and thinking, God, this is amazing, this food you have provided. You've given us the finances to buy. You've given us the skills to prepare. This is awesome. What I'm doing is telling the kids to be quiet so we can sit down and eat because I'm starving and I feel like I'm about to die. I'm not that thankful, but I go through the motions because that's what I was taught to do as a little girl. That's what we've always done, and it's what we should do, right? But my heart isn't in the right place. I need to stop. The tradition of saying grace is not bad. It's actually a really good thing. It's my motivation, my heart that is wrong. And I need to keep that in check. Because what kind of example am I setting to my kids when they see me not really paying attention, not really seeing me be thankful? They see me just going through the motions. That's not the kind of example I want to set. Now in Mark chapter 7, as we keep reading, Jesus brings it to the Pharisees' attention of how they do things to kind of sidestep God's law, to make them look holy and important, to make it look like they're doing the right things for God. And Jesus says in verse 13, you cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own traditions. And this is only one example among many. So they're kind of doing these things to yeah, make themselves look good. They're kind of sidestepping the most important thing. But how do we cancel the word of God and what is the most important thing in all of this? Well, a couple of chapters later in Mark chapter 12, Jesus says exactly what the most important thing is. Mark chapter 12, 29. The most important commandment is this. Listen, O Israel, the Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. No other commandment is greater than these. All the things we do, all the traditions, all the rituals, all the ceremonies we do should come back to the heart motivation of these two things. And that is loving God and loving our neighbor. And are we sidestepping this very important, the most important commandment and doing other things to get around that? And when we're actually practicing our faith and kind of ceremonies and traditions in our faith, are we not actually loving God? Are we not actually loving our neighbor? And that particular verse, Jesus says, you know what, loving our neighbor, it isn't kind of lower than loving God. He actually elevates it to exactly equal. And that's pretty profound. 
love God, love your neighbour. They are equal in everything we do, every tradition we do, every heart attitude we do that needs to come back to those two things. And after Jesus rebukes the Pharisees in verse 14, he says, he calls the crowd to him and he says, all of you listen and try and understand. It's not what goes into your body that defiles you. You are defiled by what comes out of your heart. And this is the key verse to the whole story. We can say all the right things, we can do all the right things in our faith, but if our heart isn't right, that's what counts. We need to come back to loving God and loving our neighbour. Jesus is asking us to check our motives in everything we do, every tradition we follow, every ritual and ceremony we do. Come back to that one thing, love God and love your neighbour. And I know in my own faith and probably your faith, you kind of have ebbs and flows. And when I find that I'm in that kind of maybe struggling a bit in my faith or just feeling a little bit lower in my faith, it's those times particularly where I find myself going through the motions and going through the rituals and it is that thing where my heart isn't right. I need to draw back to God and keep that at the forefront of my mind and say, God, help me in these moments. And that's what I've been praying lately is, God, give me that fresh desire to seek you and have the right motive. I don't want to do things for the sake of doing things. I want to do things out of an absolute love for you. Don't stop the traditions and rituals and ceremonies of our faith because they are really rich. Change our heart attitude. So I'd love this morning to be kind of like a faith checkup for us. I'm going to leave space maybe for God to speak to you. Are there things in your life where you realize, actually, my heart isn't quite in this. It isn't in the right place. Jesus, bring it back to him. Jesus, help me. Help me bring it back to the right place. So it's not just lip service. Let me uh, take some time and we'll pray. And we'll leave some space for God to maybe reveal something in his life that he wants to do that for you. So let's. Jesus, thank you so much that you are our God and our King. And that even though we have things we can do to, to grow our faith, to honour our faith, that it's our heart that matters. And I pray this morning that as we, as we allow space for you to speak, that you'll draw to mind areas that you want us to work on, that you want to invade. I pray that you'll bring us back to those things that you've required, the greatest commandments, loving you and loving our neighbour. Jesus, I pray that you'll speak now. and ask for 
for your forgiveness for those moments where we have just given you lip service, where we're doing things out of our faith just for the sake of doing it because it's tradition, because it's what we should be doing. I pray that you will redeem those areas of our life. I pray that you will give us a fresh heart. Jesus, refresh in us that love for you. I pray that you'll draw us back to you once again and that in everything we do, we can have that motivation at the forefront of our mind, that we're doing it to truly love you and truly love those around us. Jesus, thank you so much that you want our hearts. I pray today that we will give them to you. In Jesus' name.